come here seeking comfort, to borrow a Mike Tomlinism. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates where you found this. 49ers 30, Steelers 7. There was almost nothing to like about this. If you're one of those people who's only into the positives, T.J. Watt had a nice game. Anthony McFarland had a couple of nice returns, and yeah, that's all. (laughs) That's it. Kenny Pickett couldn't throw the ball straight. The offensive line was blown off the ball. The defensive line was blown off the ball. The inside linebackers were blown off the ball. The secondary was blown off the ball. Who am I missing that was blown off the ball? It was that bad and that much worse. It was outright embarrassing on and even off the field with that obscene showing of red in the seats. I hated everything about it, and that's even before I get to Cam Hayward, Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth. DeMarvin Leal, Chuksakorafor, all getting hurt to varying degrees. This is probably as bad as an opener gets. A home opener on top of that. And yet somehow it feels like part of the mission today, the day after, is to reconcile everything that was seen, heard, read, felt through the preseason with what happened yesterday. And yeah, I know the common thinking, uh, at least on social media and so forth, is that the whole thing was just a ruse, never take preseason seriously. Uh, They were going to get out coached by Kyle Shanahan. All of the Steelers coaches, including the head coach, are idiots. Fire Mike Tomlin, fire Matt Canada, fire Art Rooney made it my way. And even that underplays how awful it was. It was a bad, bad scene from the first three and out to Presley Harvin's 34 yard punt to the Niners going right down the field and gutting home a touchdown to the, the let's go Niners chant that boomed through the place, boomed in the third quarter. And to the players' credit and going through that locker room afterward, I can tell you that there's not one who said, yeah, you know, well, there were some good things out there. <laughs> you know, there wasn't one who said, You know, we were like right there. They weren't. They were just terrible. Almost all of them. Actually, I'm going to throw Pat Fryermuth in with the good too, okay? Plus, he came back and played through an injury. He, I don't think he should have been coming back on the field after, but I'll throw Fryermuth in there too, had the touchdown. And that's it. Three guys out of 53. So 50 of them were bad. Heck, I I can't even give anything other than an F minus, minus, minus for effort. 
I thought the 49ers came out the way hungrier team. And I'm not one that's predisposed to looking at effort as a variable in team sports because it usually isn't. It usually gets overblown. In this case, particularly San Francisco's lightning quick defense was starving, was rabid. They went at the football as quickly and efficiently as any defense I have ever seen live. No hype on my part. I've never seen a group do what they did. Even when, in the very early stages of the game, Kenny Pickett connected with somebody, one of those short passes to one of the quicker guys, whoa, here comes Fred Warner, and and these guys are just, Flying to the football en masse. You saw it. Flying to the quarterback, flying into the backfield. Najee Harris's first carry was a minus two. And not he didn't get tripped up back there. He got slammed. So you didn't even have that they tried hard enough. Bad, 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 bad. Now What do you do with it? Because there are 16 other games, and this was just one, and there are other teams in the NFL that lost yesterday who are going to be fine. Also, and maybe most pertinent, very, very few teams the Steelers face this year, maybe none, will be as good as the one they just did. That's how strong the 49ers were on both sides of the ball. That's how impressed I was with them. Not to take anything away, again, from how the Steelers performed. Both things can be true. The other team can be really good, and yours can be really bad. But where do you go with it? Well, the first thing that has to happen, as a lot of the players mentioned, is you got to, they didn't use this term, but you got to flush the commode. You know, you, you have nothing, almost nothing to gain from that event other than the weaknesses, whether it's personnel, schematic, or effort, that it exposed. You have to make something happen from that. If you're Tomlin, you've got to look at whether or not Patrick Peterson is a better option at this age than Joey Porter Jr. You don't necessarily base it off of one game, but it's it's at least planted in your head. You look at Chooks at right tackle, and you ask yourself if you wouldn't be better off with Broderick Jones at left tackle and Dan Moore moving to the right side. You look hard, again, at these inside linebackers and ask yourself if a horizontal Cole Holcomb is what's best for the defense or if he just had a rough day. And maybe more important than anything, you look for a way to stop the run, you know? You can't do anything as a defense if you don't stop the run. And I know a bunch of guys, as I mentioned, went down from that D-line. But you've got to find other answers. If that means putting more linebackers out there, if that means Keanu Neal goes closer to the line of scrimmage, whatever it is, you've got to stop the run. Remember, Nick Chubb is next. I asked Alan Robinson, who is very much a locker room leader, where the team needs to go from here. 
Obviously, this is not how anyone envisioned. It's tough when you get behind the chains and things like that. You know, um, it's tough. You know, again, we 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 were in a few second and longs. You know, um, granted, we did get into a couple, a few third and manageables early. You know, that we didn't convert on. But you know, um, for us, it's just about you know being able to move the chains, being able to stay in manageable situations. You know, being able to get first downs on first downs, being able to get first downs on second downs. You know, and not and not you know uh, having to wait till third down, you know, a lot of the times, you know, because unfortunately, again, we didn't convert, but, you know, it's just on us. We got to execute better, you know, um, we got to play better. We got to be better all around. And I know one game isn't going to affect this. I'm not going to ask a stupid question. Is there a way that you can actually sound back or gain from it and say, hey, listen, this, this just exposed everything? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, I, I think we we have a very motivated group all around, yeah. you know, so I think that this doesn't do anything but, you know, make us go back into the lab, you know, dig a little deeper, you know, be a little sharper, you know, look at the tape a little bit, you know, deeper, a little bit longer, you know, and figure out and figure out what we need to do. You know, again, I mean, even the communication, you know, after the game that guys have had with one another, you know, making sure that when we get in tomorrow and watch the tape, you know, let's, let's clean up things, let's communicate things, let's make sure we're over-communicating, you know, doing everything that we need to do on the, to get on the same page, you know, because this is obviously not the outcome that we want, you know, so we can't, we can't, we can't wait until, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, to pick that up. That has to start tomorrow. That might sound dry, but that's actually what has to happen, my friends. It really is. I saw Minka Fitzpatrick, TJ Watt, and Alex Highsmith pull up stools and sit around TJ's stall. This was right as the locker room was really getting ready to empty out and close up to the media. They already began. They already started discussing both sides of the ball. But the discussions that have to take place, including, I should stress here, among the coaches and with Tomlin, have to be honest, have to be real, have to be, whoa, this just didn't work, or this isn't going to work. Or maybe this will work. That's got to happen, as you heard Robinson say, right away. When we come back, J1Q. Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. LGKG is a personal injury law firm in western Pennsylvania that represents people hurt in car accidents or who need help with workers' comp or medical malpractice. When the attorneys at LGKG make you a promise, they keep it. They've been keeping promises in our region for over 80 years. LGKG's been AV rated, the highest rating a law firm can receive, and they've been designated super lawyers. That's actually a thing for over 15 years. It's a rare combination. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. Learn more about them by visiting lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. LGKG. comes from Cole who asks out of all the bad from this weekend to me the worst part of it was the lack of Steelers fans and the let's go Niners chance near the end of the game does the city of Pittsburgh care about football still what's going on after you sent this Cole 
just for my background purposes, I, I sent you something back, as you know, asking if you live in the city because it would it, it inform the perspective that you're coming from. And, and you said no, that you don't. And what I would say first is that if, if you were here, you'd never ask that question. You'd know. Uh, the Steelers aren't a part of Pittsburgh. The Steelers are in so, so, so many ways Pittsburgh itself. Any of you who've traveled around the world will probably get a little bit of a laugh out of this, but when you get into a cab somewhere overseas and you say, they say, where are you from? And if you're one of those people like me, I, I never say United States. I always say the city, mostly just to see if they heard of us, right? I say Pittsburgh and they say, oh, Steelers <laughs> or something like that, right? And that's just so cool. No matter what else we've offered to the world as a city, Jonas Salk, polio vaccine, Mr. Rogers, one of the great humanitarians in our nation's history, Andrew Carnegie and his unrivaled network of libraries to this day, nothing touches the Steelers. So the issue isn't one of whether or not local fans are interested. A lot of what's happened here, you have to understand that every game has been sold out since 1972. And there are people who've lived here all their lives, born, raised into their 70s, 80s, whatever it is, who've never witnessed a game in person. And you just kind of accept that over the years. You just kind of say that's the way it is. And the Steelers never really did anything about that. The Penguins did. The Penguins made sure. This was actually part of their internal policy going back a couple decades ago, that they would never, no matter what the ticket demand would be, ever sell more than 16,000 season tickets in an 18,000-seat venue. They always wanted the other 2,000 seats to rotate or to go to college students at a lower price. And, it, yeah, they did it at some expense, at some you know, loss, meaning that they could have charged more for those seats and made a couple extra bucks. But what they ended up doing was crafting for themselves a sustained brand. They brought in a generation that could never get in to see football games. Hey, this is hockey. This is awesome. They have all these stars, too, and Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. This is great. This is my team. This is the team that cares about me. The Steelers didn't do that. The Steelers still aren't doing that. What the Steelers have done, the situation that they've created, and they've not exactly stood out in this regard in the NFL, because this is very common, was they sold all their seats at what was then Heinz Field on personal licenses, and then put together a waiting list that could take 20, 30 years before your name gets called. And here's where I get in trouble, but I'm sorry. I'm here to be honest with you. What's happened is that a lot of the Steelers' season ticket base, and this is just natural, has moved, has had to go to other cities, maybe for jobs, maybe for, for family, for health, for recreation, whatever it happens to be. That's their right. They go and they move somewhere. 
but they're not here and they hold on to these tickets. And a lot of them don't use them. Or they put them on the secondary market. In either case, the Steelers lose out, the atmosphere loses out, and when you do have a fan base like San Francisco's that is really devoted, even in tough times, the 49ers are a, are a strong franchise. You have people in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area who have a ton of money who came in and woo, there won all the prices. And you're looking at upper deck seats yesterday that were on the secondary market for around $300, $400. Well, what happened here? And again, this is where this is, you know, I get a lot of blowback on this. But if you want somebody who just panders, you can find another program to listen to. All right. What you have is a situation in which the Steelers have left Pittsburgh out of the mix. The Steelers have neglected Pittsburgh in this process. How do I know that? How do I know that these tickets would sell to Pittsburghers if they were made available to Pittsburghers? Meaning current Pittsburghers, people who are living here right now or working here right now? Because just three weeks ago, the Steelers and Bills played a preseason game that drew 68,000 actual humans into the stadium. The place was completely packed. You won't find anybody to disagree with that, nor will you find anybody to disagree with my assessment that that crowd was probably about 95% Steelers fans, even though the Bills are just a three and a half hour drive away. It was an amazing scene. And contrast that with this one. Now, I'm going to warn you, I have a feeling this is going to be a really hot topic over the next couple of days, because this is just a perfect fit, the largely lowest common denominator world of talk radio. And you're going to hear things that are really wild, ridiculous theories. And I'm here to tell you that out of those people, you're not going to have one who's had the conversations that I've had with sports executives of the Steelers, of the Penguins, of the Pirates, who know how this business works. And the Steelers have been relying on a season ticket base that was built in 1970. And that does not work in 2023. Not for modern Pittsburgh, it doesn't. Not for today's Pittsburgh. And they're the ones who need to address that. It's okay and everything else. I have no problem with anyone, you know, wagging a finger at those out-of-town season ticket holders who hold on to their tickets and either eat them or, like I said, sell them to the highest bidder. That, to me, is almost low-hanging fruit because it's not a solution. Those people aren't going to change that behavior. But the team can do things, can put processes into place that make the Steelers Pittsburgh's team again. I appreciate the question more than you can know. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We will have another one of these tomorrow when I'm told that the sun actually might in fact come up. 